Hang on a second. It's I'm trying to get this going here. It's not no. That's not it. I'm trying to find the right button here. I got all of the, all these buttons. I can't find the right one. God bless you all. May God protect our troops and take care of the Easter Bunny. No, that's not it. Where is that button? There it is. Woo! Finally found the right button. You may not know this, but this podcast, Thinking It Through, is produced, directed, and edited by yours truly. I don't know if I should admit that at this point. <laughs> Welcome to Thinking It Through. I'm your host, Craig Jarvis. This is a podcast put out by Village Church East on a variety of topics impacting our changing culture. I think I've been the victim of my soundboard. Or actually, I think maybe you've been victimized by my soundboard. You ever wonder about that word victim? It sure is tossed a lot out these days, don't you think? Right off the bat, there are some serious victims in this world. And we need to talk about that before we discuss how victim is used in our culture today. Right off the bat, the International Labor Office estimates there are upwards of 40 million victims of forced labor conditions or forced marriage or sexual activities going on without consent around the globe. Most of these are in Central Asia, Africa, Arab states, even some in America, although the numbers are not nearly the same as they are around the globe. Sex trafficking is a huge industry, however, in America and should be prosecuted aggressively. These are precious little girls victimized by these horrible humans, actually. And um, But victimization goes on around the globe. On the African continent, it's not unusual to have people kidnapped and forced to work in mines or kidnapped as children and forced to become children's soldiers by terrible despots. Uh, the sex trafficking is huge. It's alive and well, even in this Chicago area. These, these kind of victims are not what this podcast is about, but the world is full of vulnerable people and we need to be aware of that. There are still many bullies around the globe who take advantage of people. However, in American popular culture, everyone seems to be clamoring to get to this word victim, to get this word attached to their Chosen people, their chosen organization. Becoming a victim in America is actually trendy now. To be honest, the more common we make these words, the more it belittles the real victims that are going on and that have to deal with these certain circumstances like this around the globe. Our popular culture has popularized the use of the term victim. Why is this happening? Well, it accomplishes two objectives right out of the gate. It lowers the perceived offender's moral status and it raises the moral status of the victims. It elevates one for the sake of the other. Many researchers believe this elevation of victimhood in popular culture is actually the same thing that started the whole dueling process back in ancient England. You have offended me, sir. You have offended my wife's honor, whatever it is. You pull out a glove that apparently everybody wore in those days or had them laying around in their vests, and then slap, you slap the guy in the face, And you request a duel for her honor, pistols at dawn. (laughs) Remember politics when when this was a thing? Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr, two of the most famous duelers. Hamilton was the Secretary of Treasury. Burr was the Vice President of the United States. Burr found out that Hamilton disrespected his character at an elite New York dinner party. He challenged Hamilton to a duel. And on July 11th, 1804, Burr shot Hamilton, who died the following day. (laughs) He went out with his dignity, I guess. Sociologists call this kind of behavior back then a culture of honor. 
This is a culture where a person's reputation is paramount. Anyone seeking to do away with the dignity of that person or what that person represented, uh, or maybe the girl that was represented by that person, they get challenged to a duel. That ignorant person needed to be taught a lesson. And the duel apparently restored your honor, or or you were incredibly maimed or died or dealt with some sort of a life-threatening death from lead poisoning. Whatever it was, in this kind of culture, reputation was king. What others think of you is the highest quest. I want to say that maybe honor culture is making a re-emergence in our day-to-day. We don't reach for swords or muskets, but we do reach for dignity. And this is good in some ways. We just spoke about this in church. God upholds the dignity of the oppressed and those victimized by potential oppressors in society. God is concerned about the dignity of every human being, no matter what their situation is. Let's call this version like God's version. We'll call it dignity culture instead of honor culture. A dignity culture has moral values and behavioral norms that promote the value of simply being human, being made in God's image. However, like many other things, our culture has taken a good idea to a bad place. In an effort to provide dignity for some, our culture has necessarily imposed villainhood on others. Victimhood, not dignity, has conferred the highest moral status these days. As one group is elevated, another is moved down. Victimhood relies on villains and victims, oppressors and the oppressed. And as we've popularized this value system, our list of victims just continues to grow. As the list grows, it only increases the incentive to publicize grievances. More people want to be more victims. They become louder, they become stronger, they become more popular with more groups. We've increased the potential impact of the injured parties in society as well. It's no longer an individual or small groups. It's it's not one person slapping another person with a glove. Now the offended parties have social media for instant appeal and immediate support. Any small infraction becomes a blowout attack on somebody or someone's choice of people groups. The gloves come off, and instead of slapping one face, a million gloves slap a million faces, based on what the perception of those groups are. Furthermore, you don't even have to try to prove your case if you feel like you've been victimized. The very fact that you claim the title victim automatically bestows on you the highest moral ground from which to speak. You have been wronged. You have been victimized. This claim of victim status may not be completely unique to this generation, but running to it, like our culture has done these days, is unique. Everyone's carrying around gloves. Everyone's carrying around dueling swords. You have offended me, sir. And then slap. Dignity must be restored. In our current culture, claiming victimhood is the ideal perch from which a person cannot be attacked. The category of victim is now a moral absolute. No argument to the contrary can stand against somebody who believes that they are a victim. Victim mentality values feelings above all and diminishes factual evidence. If feelings are not acknowledged and penance offered, the conversation only escalates until the demands for conformity are met by the oppressor. In this activity, verbal slights are the name of the game. Citizens of this culture are demanding recognition of various victimhood status and are increasingly unwilling to engage in any form of civilized dialogue with anyone with whom they might disagree. I saw one video recently where a student was attacking her professor at Yale. She was surrounded by other students. The professor apparently had sent out some email on rules, and she took it personally. She said that this email hurt her, caused her to feel like she was not a part of the university any longer. It took away her feeling of family. It stole her safe space. 
From there, the crowd only got more riled up until they were shouting this professor down, calling him everything from bigot to racist to homophobe, every, every name in the book. He continued to plead his case that it was just an email and he didn't, have, didn't mean to victimize anyone, but it didn't get him anywhere. She appealed to the crowd and eventually the screaming overtook logical debate. The implication of those arguing from victim status is that the person disagreeing with them is an inherent moral failure. If they cannot agree with the emotions expressed by the victim, they're a moral failure. The more the discussion goes on, the more the victim will feel comfortable heating it up until their emotions are addressed, not their grievance, and to which the argument will never suffice. This is an appeal to not a debate, but it will eventually turn into an ad hominem attack and the name calling begins. You ever wonder why why we have all of these names coming up so quickly? Racism turns to white supremacists and now to white colonization. I mean, we're just upping the ante on the words that we throw at each other. Like glove-slapping faces, we just keep throwing out more and more volatile words. You always need stronger terms to appeal to emotions and find support for your viewpoint. And in a victim culture, if anger from a victim is met with anger from a perceived oppressor, the point is made, you are the aggressor, and now you're proving it. This analysis may be best described why our culture values victimhood over logic. Arguing from a victim mentality gains the moral high ground. And any attempt to a conversation diminishes the emotions of the victim and belittles their experiences. The problem of victimhood is that every victim will inevitably try to out-victimize the other victim. <laughs> you, you can't knock somebody off a meritus victim perch. All you can do is find a place for your own victimized group to stand and push them aside so that you can take a seat on the perch next to them. Eventually, every group will attempt to become a victim group. Some have already labeled this kind of behavior oppression Olympics. <laughs> Who is the greatest one group of people being oppressed? Eventually, there will be no victims left. Jesus never allowed those he came to save to play the victim card. In his day, Rome had stolen everything. It had taxed the Jewish people into poverty. Their own households were not safe for their children. Rome had victimized a nation. Jesus should have played to this. But Jesus never spoke to his own people like they were victimized. In fact, he said, when a Roman soldier asks something from you, be generous. You're probably thinking to yourself, Craig, where in the world would Jesus say, be generous to a Roman soldier? I'm glad you asked. It's right in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 40. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Well, okay, this is generosity, but what does that have to do with the Roman soldiers? Well, the next verse says, And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. You see, the law in the Roman books was, if a soldier goes on leave from the battlefield, he has to walk home with everything he's carrying. He carries all his stuff, and he walks the entire way. <laughs> and, and on the way, as he's going through Roman territory, he can ask any person, Roman citizen or part of the Roman territory to carry his stuff, but he can only ask them to help him carry it one mile. Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Jesus is referring to this Roman law. If a soldier asks you, a soldier that's persecuting you in your own land, asks you for help for one mile, go two. Creating victims may be the best that our culture seeking justice can do. We need to seek justice, but not at the expense of any other group 
or any other person. God has a better way. We're not after victims. We're after dignity. The Ephesian church turned to Christ left and right. As they did that, their mindsets changed on what was going on in their society, in their culture. One of the things that was going on was Ephesus had a field at the side of the city where fathers who did not want their children could discard their babies or leave them out to die. The law and the books in the Roman world where the father had the final say over these children, if it was a child with a health disparity or some maybe learning disadvantage, the father had the say and they could go out and they could leave this child on the edge of the city and their animals might pick them up and, and, and tear them apart. Scavengers might pick them up and put them in sex trafficking. They might simply die from exposure, end up in the slave trade. The, this was a terrible thing that Rome was doing, a law on the books. And you know what the Ephesian people started doing? You know what they decided that they were going to do because they wanted to protect the vulnerable? They wanted to help those who were truly victimized? They decided that they were going to go to the dump. And they collected the infants. At their own expense, they brought in these children and raised them as their own. They didn't know where they came from. They just knew that they needed help. Have you ever wondered why adoption is such a huge theme in Ephesians? In fact, Ephesians starts this way. In love, Christ chose us before the world began to be adopted as sons and daughters. The fact of the matter is sometimes the justice system is simply not equal. We need to strive to make application of the law equal for everyone, but not from the vantage point of victimization, rather from the vantage point of dignity. We need to help people with empathy, but we don't want to ever turn empathy into permission to be a victim. God's plan is that we don't elevate victimhood, but we do our part to elevate victims. People need to be rescued, body, soul, and spirit. There are some who have been wronged in this world who need justice and they need mercy. And there are some who are wronging others, bullies in this world, who need to be shown justice. And we need to follow the law of the land and meet God's method of delivery, his heart, his hands, and his feet to all those around us. One police officer I was talking to just recently said, this is why he got into the police force. He hates bullies. We can be those who uphold the needy and the broken and the fallen. But we don't need to promote a culture of victimization in order to do it. We need to promote a culture of dignity. Hebrews 13.3 reminds us to continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you were yourselves suffering. Remember dignity culture, not victimization. Every human life has dignity. Every human life should be protected and valued. But we don't move to victimization to find an oppressor, to blame someone else. We take advantage of the justice system. Make your wishes known, speak up for the vulnerable, defend those who are oppressed, but don't cling to victimhood to find your dignity or your cause. You'll never find it there. That barrel labeled victim will only give you more reason to find anger and rage. We need to realize those who have been hurt by others, uphold the dignity of every person, work to support those who have been treated unfairly. We as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, don't want to build the society for our children based on one that constantly needs victims to thrive. Like the professor at Yale who supported every cause his students did in an effort to identify with them, eventually he found out he himself was viewed as the oppressor. With victimhood, there can never be enough oppressors. 
If there's a victim in this world, it was our Savior, Jesus Christ. He alone is completely faultless. Jesus alone is the exception to this rule. And what did we do? We killed him. Actually, we killed him for not being like us. He voluntarily died on that cross so that we could know the freedom he offers to all of us, his own oppressors. And his offer is open to you as well. I want to tell you, he can change any heart. He can turn any victim into a victor. He can give you his heart, and you can find purpose in him, not in what others think of you. No gloves out, slapping people on the cheek. (laughs) No, instead, we follow a Savior who loves us, and we provide dignity for every class, every citizen, every culture, every person in the land, because we are all made in the image of Christ, and we all have inherent value. Listen, if all as always, if you like this podcast, there's more where this came from. Visit us online at villagechurcheast.com. We'd love to have you. Let us know you dropped by, would you? And I'll send you a quick little note. I hope you'll join me again next time as we spend a few moments together on another topic, thinking it through. Till then, we'll see you next time. Be merciful, walk in justice, and humbly before your God. See you next time.